In the last 10 years, our field has gone from an unknown specialty to a household name. This brings unprecedented opportunities, but we need to rise up to meet them and give our patients the care that they deserve. In order to help others get better, we need to be better. This podcast will help you to become more confident with your patients, more successful in your practice or business, and a leader in pelvic health. And we're gonna have some fun along the way. Join us as we rise together. We're Jesse and Nicole Cozine, founders of Pelvic Sanity Physical Therapy and the creators of the Pelvic PT Huddle. And this is Pelvic PT Rising. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Pelvic PT Rising podcast with Jesse and Nicole Cozine. Hey Nicole. Hello. All right, talking today about our expectations for how long it takes a patient to get better. And I know this is something, Nicole, you have had a passion for talking about for a long time. In a large part, it's what the pelvic PT essentials and the four phases of treatment is meant to answer that question, how long until I get better? But you recently got a DM, and thank you guys so much for all of you who reach out after these episodes, but a DM with a question about vaginismus and the expectation that that seemed like they had that that person should be getting better should be better in a couple of months, eight visits. Yeah. And this, you know, I want to have us all take a half a beat back because I feel like we are so conditioned. It's ingrained in our head to get patients better fast. Like if we're not getting patients better fast and with quick results, then why there were a failure, pelvic PT isn't right for them, something like that. And that is really doing patients quite a disservice for multiple reasons. We're going to go into those here in a second, but we cannot continue to expect patients to magically get better in a complex system with a problem that has been present for a really long time that is wrapped up, thirdly, in orthopedic and emotions and potentially trauma and all kinds of other things. Like, like I really believe that while Ramona Horton talks about, you know, pelvic PT is orthopedics in a cave, that is true. We do have underpinnings of orthopedics, but we also have primary pelvic floor conditions that have been present for a long time and that are really complex and intertwined with the nervous system that frankly are not going to get better in six to eight, 10 visits. It's just not going to happen. And so I think sometimes we set ourselves up for that expectation and we can talk about why that might be here in a second, but we set that selves up for these unrealistic expectations. We put that on the patient and now we're in this massive cluster of, I think you should be getting better faster. The patient's like, well, you said I was going to get better and now I'm not. So now what are we doing? I don't know what's going on. And now we're in this like cluster F of problems with us thinking we're doing something wrong or bad. And then the patient's getting freaked out that something worse is wrong. And at the end of the day, it's all because these things are freaking complex. And the, the expectation that you set was incorrect at the very beginning. And I think that was one of the things that was interesting about the DM, the person who was an insightful question. And I love when people actually think through their question too, because their thing was, well, at every Herman and Wallace course I've been at, all of the case studies are talking about 
like a two-month span for these patients. And this is one of the things that as an outsider to the field of pelvic PT to physical therapy in general, it's just shocking to me the attitude of let's get this person as good as possible, as fast as possible so we can get them out the door. From a business perspective, that's crazy. To me, from a medical perspective, that's crazy. It just is not objectively looking at that. Even if you ask me, somebody who doesn't know anything about anything, hey, somebody's been having this problem for 15 years and it's a huge deal and it's impacted a ton of things in their life and they've probably had a lot of traumatic experiences at the gynecologist with attempted intercourse, with attempted penetration, with tampons, whatever it is. And you're telling me it's like eight visits and that person's going to be like done, ship shape, good to go, send them out the door. Like objectively, that just seems ridiculous. Well, and if it were that easy, y'all, we wouldn't even have jobs, right? Like there would be some program, like that's what physicians think. They just hand their patients dilators and just work on this for a while and it should get better. Like if it were that easy, then all of those self-dilator programs and stuff like that would work. But the bottom line is that this is such a more complex issue. The other place where I feel like this completely gets bastardized is people with like really bad interstitial cystitis symptoms or peninal neuralgia. Like if you really get down to it, a lot of our patients with peninal neuralgia get to us after they've had literally years of a brewing problem, not being able to sit, burning vaginal or penile pain, like feeling like a golf ball's up their rectum, like all of this kind of stuff, failed injections, failed peninal nerve blocks, failed Botox. And they might be seeing us for the first time and I mean, 10 visits? Are you kidding me? For something that has been so ingrained in our brain, the threat responses are so high, the pelvic floor is conditioned to be in this hyper tense state. Like, it's just not realistic. And I hope by the end of this podcast, you'll see that that is unrealistic. And just because we can get, we can get somebody improvement and better within a short period of time. That is usually an outlier. And I think that's where when we're getting presented these case studies, it's like, oh, look, see, this is like the person on the hill that we want to think about. And this is the best case scenario of it. And it took eight weeks. And this person was super compliant with their home program. And they actually, I mean, I would even say that, did they even have vaginismus in the first place if they got better that fast? But that is another podcast. But like when you're getting presented a case study, you're getting presented like the best case scenario in something that worked perfectly. Right. Because if we really think about that, has anybody ever gone to a course and listened to a case study that was like, well, this person was super complex and I really fucked up. Like the first seven visits, I was on the complete wrong path. Like I did all this stuff that was totally unnecessary. And then I went back to this. And then then I found out at visit 12, they had all this trauma. So then we had to go back to the drawing board and restart that. And all of these, it's like, no, all these case studies are like, oh, this idealized version of like, well, they came in and I certainly knew exactly what was wrong with them on day one. So then I started treating them absolutely perfectly, right? And they were already seeing a sex therapist and they had been for three years. And it's just like, I mean, that's great. We do need those examples of something of our interventions working, but that is not realistic, especially 
especially for something as complex as really any pelvic floor condition. And I see this too happening a lot of times in the postpartum world with prolapse, where we are assuming that a lot of postpartum patients, quote unquote, should be done and quote unquote, back to exercise. And even if you are generous and say 12 visits, it's like a three month plan. When they're coming to you, that's they're only like in a perfect world, six to eight weeks postpartum. You're not even taking them through like their entire healing process. They might still be breastfeeding after that. Like there's so many variables that still have to happen where, and this is important, where we still have a role in implementing our services to them. We still have a role in guiding their care past the initial decrease in symptoms, period. And sometimes, especially in the case of somebody with chronic pelvic pain, you might only start to see a glimpse of symptom reduction in the first six to eight visits. That is what I'll tell people. You know, they're like, oh, how many sessions am I going to have to be up? I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. What I do know, it's going to take a freaking long time. Think about how long you've had pain. Physical therapy isn't magic. I mean, we have wands, but it's not, we are not magic. We will have a magician coming to Pelvicon, but it's, we're not magic. It's like that, it's pelvic PT isn't magic. And so I think sometimes we're setting our patients up for these unrealistic expectations of how long something's going to happen or so how long something's going to take to get better. And then we get to that point and now we all panic, right? Patient panics, we panic, and no one's just taking a look at like, was that original expectation just like wrong? I think most of the time, I think it is. And frankly, the younger of a physical therapist you are, the less you know about that, the, the right? You prognostication or being, being able to prognosticate something, progno- giving somebody a prognosis of how long is it's going to take that's really hard when you are, I would even say, less than five years out. And there's a lot of factors, I think, when we were talking about this before this podcast, that kind of push people toward that unrealistic expectation, right? There's the insurance model, which is the huge monkey in the room in any conversation about expectations. But if you work in an insurance model, it's like, well, I got to get this person better before their insurance benefits run out. So there's the insurance model, the fact that physical therapy schools now train people toward the insurance model. So that's the whole piece of like, hey, get them better, work yourself out of a job, all of that. There's the orthopedic example, because almost everybody has had some sort of orthopedic background or training at least, clinical rotations, where that might be the way that an ankle or a knee or a hip works, but not necessarily something complex like what we're talking about. And then we talked a little bit about how the teacher bias of, you know, no one is going to present a case report. This is why we need this podcast where we can actually talk honestly about some of this stuff. No one's presenting a case report of all of the twists and turns and wrong directions and problems and mistakes that goes into treating somebody who's really complex because you just can't do that completely perfectly in this aseptic, perfectly scripted case study world. Yeah. There's just no way. I mean, do you know how many times I've been like eight visits in and I've been like, Oh, (laughs) that's a big deal that we just totally missed for eight visits or whatever. Like, and it's not, that doesn't mean that the patient wasn't improving in some way, 
But what it means is, is that the area that we are working on is so complex, even in the most simple diagnosis, and that's the key, even in the most simple diagnosis, the area that we're working is complex, both from an orthopedic standpoint, from a neurophysiological standpoint, and from a psychosocial standpoint. All of those three things do not lend it very easy to get anything quote unquote, cured, better, done, discharged basically in a six to eight visit model. And so what I want to challenge you all on is that if that's the case, if we sort of strip away that expectation that that people should be getting better in a truncated period of time, then what does that mean for us in in an insurance model? And what does that mean for us in a person that is complex? I love how you talk about this in the essentials where a lot of that becomes communication and clinical honesty, I think is the answer to that, right? Yes. Because what I also want you all to think about is that I'm not naive to the fact that there's a lot of need and insurance-based practices out there. We don't happen to run one of those, right? But that is a place that many of you listeners might be working in. But here's the deal. If you have a vaginismus patient that has had, let's say she's, let's just make some numbers up. Let's say she's 35. Let's say she's always had pain with a gynecological exam and attempted to put in a tampon, and she's been diagnosed with primary vaginismus from the very beginning of time. Every single gynecological exam that she's ever had was extremely painful, unable to do. She's never even actually had a full exam, like all of those things. And she potentially has had a history of sexual trauma. I mean, can we please see that like eight visits is not not going to cut it for her. Now, here's the deal. If you are constrained by an insurance model, what I want you to think about is actually telling people potentially what it's looking like that we're going to run out of sessions. And what that means is we're not done. You're not done. And I can help you to find maybe a cash-based physical therapist that you can go to to continue your care. We can play the insurance game and start another case for a low back or a hip pain problem, right? Where we can do that if their insurance works like that. But to give the patients the illusion that the their insurance limitation is also the expected plan of care time to get better for a complex pelvic pain condition, that is doing a disservice to the patient because we're setting them up to expect something that is just was never going to be possible. We actually had a really poignant letter from a patient that came in who was local that was very similar to this, was talking about she had been dealing with vaginismus for a long time. She went to an insurance-based practice. They said that she would be, she had 12 visits and she was thinking that this was going to be a long-term thing. She was planning on at least six months. She says, okay, great. 12 visits. All of a sudden, they get to visit 11 and they say, well, tomorrow's your last visit. Your symptoms haven't changed at all. There's nothing else to do for you. Like, goodbye. Well, right. Keep doing your home program. And then she was like, wait a second. What was the problem? Did I, is it not working? Is this expected? Right. There was, she came in with the expectation. And this is something that I feel like sometimes we don't understand. Like patients know that it's going to take a long time. We then come in with our poor communication on 
conflating their insurance benefits with how long their plan of care is going to take. And now the patient's like, oh, okay, cool. Well, she just said 12. Maybe I was wrong. I'm not an expert in the pelvic floor. It is going to take 12. Now her expectations are different now. And now we treat her coming up to that 11th or 12th visit. And now it's like, okay, go ship bye by yourself. Like try this, continue using your dilators and good luck. And it's like, that's not, that's not good quality care. Even if you were the best PT in those 11, 12 visits, like that's not setting our patients up for success because we weren't being honest with how long it could possibly take. And imagine that patient's journey after that. What do they do? They go back to their gynecologist and they say, well, physical therapy didn't work for me. I'm still having this problem. Or I went there for 12 visits and now it's like, we're done. Right. And that's a person who now thinks that physical therapy didn't work for them. What are they going to do now? They're exploring potential surgery. They're thinking about medication. They're just going to decide to live with this for the rest of their life. That's a physician who referred them who now thinks that physical therapy isn't really a great choice. Why not just give them dilators? And that whole thing could have been prevented had we just been more clinically honest from the very beginning. And what does that look like? That looks like when you get that person with vaginismus that has had it for in this, what do we say, 10 years, something like a long time. And like they have orthopedic things. They've never been able to have any sort of penetrative intercourse. That is one of their goals, right? That's another thing. What are their goals? And then that is then something that you have to say like, hey, actually, I don't know how long it's going to take, but I can certainly guarantee you that it's not going to be a super quick fix. That's being honest. You don't even have to say how many visits it's going to take. What I would highly suggest that you do with, especially with chronic pain, is break that down into more, and this is where the phases come in, break that down into more, what are we going to tackle first? First, we need to be able to do X in vaginismus. That's desensitize the area. That's work on the external hip mobility. That's, you know, insert a ton of different things. Then we are going to attempt some smaller dilators or vaginal trainers as Jessica of Southern Public Health calls them. And then we're going to like work on that. That's going to be a whole nother phase. I don't know how your body's going to respond to that. It could go amazing. It could also be really challenging, but let's get through that first phase first. And then we will talk about that. And then you can see how long does that first phase take? Maybe they do breeze through it. And then now all of a sudden we can get a better prediction of how well the rest of their stuff is going to go. But this idea of this is going to be a quick fix or this is going to be a short thing. And we've been talking a lot about, you know, complex diagnoses, vaginismus, chronic pain, but this is just as true for non-complex things, for your incontinence person, for your postpartum for a diastasis for like the simplest things like there's not that many things i know you say this around the clinic at all nicole like how many things how many patients really can be truly fixed and get them to a point where you are 100 confident that they're going to believe they're never going to have that problem again they're going to be able to manage anything that comes up if they do how many people can get to that point in eight visits yeah like not very many and my like clinician brain was a little nails on chalkboard when Jesse was like, there's simple things, right? I guess that's the whole point, right? Is that even 
something that is quote unquote simple or one symptom like stress urinary incontinence with one task, the system that it's working in is complex. The person in front of you is complex. And most of the time, pelvic floor issues don't just pop up out of nowhere. They've been compensated for over a long period of time, or in the case of a cesarean or vaginal birth, they just went through a massive physical trauma. So nothing about the pelvic floor and the system that it works in is simple. And so that's why it just is like frustrates me to no end when we are putting these unrealistic expectations on patients on how long something's going to take. It should be in my opinion, more rare that somebody gets quote unquote finished with PT quickly. Because think about also all of the things that we also have to do. And Jesse alluded to this a little bit. All of the things that we should, once we have that person in our office, it's like, ooh, I've got you. You came in for your, you know, incontinence with lifting my baby out of their crib, right? I also want to run. And they came to you with that one thing. And now we're like, and also what's your pooping like? What's your dynamic control of your whole lower extremity like? And how does that play into the pelvic floor? And how's your sleep? And how is your, we talk about pelvic health foundations all the time, stress management, sleep, movement, and nutrition. What are all of those things that are going to build that good foundation for you so that when we get this most quote unquote acute symptom resolved, now we got to get you back to doing whatever else you want to do. Maybe realizing things you didn't even know you wanted to do without leaking, for instance, and then also educate on all of those other things, all of those other foundational principles, like that in and of itself, if someone comes to me and they don't have any pelvic floor problems, I need four to six visits just to do that well. And so I feel like it's not just about the thing that they're coming in for. It's making sure that they understand the, the complexity of the system and making sure it's the most optimal functioning thing when they leave. Not here to just reduce symptoms. We're here to change lives. Yeah, man. That is really what we're doing. And so what's the takeaway here, right? The takeaway is... Oh, I've got one. I think that this maybe even occurred to me while we were talking about this. So I'm going off script. But (laughs) one of the things, I feel like physical therapists almost judge each other. And maybe this is a, a remnant of like orthopedic physical therapy. But they judge each other by how quickly they can get a patient better. And like, I, I might, there might be people out there who are like, what are you talking about, Nicole? I thought you were a great therapist. Like, what do you mean you take eight vit plus visits with every single person who comes into the clinic? And if that is an attitude or if there's a lingering sense of that, what if we changed that goal? It's not the speed of which you can get somebody better. It's how much better you can get somebody. Yeah, or how thorough your your entire plan of care is. How much you're changing somebody's life at the end of it. Because like what you said, Nicole, if, if that person came in and just wanted their incontinence during baby picking up time to be resolved, you could do that. You probably could do that in two visits. Totally. But they still have constipation and they still have pain in their hip and they still have low back pain when they do bridges and they have all of this other stuff going on that's limiting what they're doing. Did you do a better job because you did it in two visits? 
Should that be a case study? Wow, this person came in with incontinence with doing this one thing, and I fixed that in one visit. I told them how to lift their baby with the other way, and they were all fine. No, you did not do a good job. And for us to judge how good of a therapist you are and how quickly you get somebody out of your office instead of how thoroughly you're able to affect their life is crazy. So, man, if there's anybody who's still thinking that way, I think that might be, I don't know, maybe to me that's the the takeaway is think about how thoroughly you are affecting in a positive way somebody else's life instead of how quickly you can do that. Yeah, that's good. And I know that many of you out there, right? So we have the luxury of being able to do that in a cash-based model because we don't have an insurance limitation. And so if you're working in an insurance-based model, you will run into that. And so I guess my call to action for you guys is to try to divorce what you see clinically from the insurance expectation and just see where that sort of takes you and see how that might change your language to patients, see how that might change what you choose to do in your sessions, see what the hell, what that makes you feel like. Because I think that is something that most cash-based clinicians are sort of already there because that's why we went to this model. We saw that. And sometimes I don't think that we can see that sometimes when we're in that model itself because it's driven by your productivity that your boss is having you do or the wait list that they're trying to have you burn and churn patients because they need to they don't want to have a six month wait list on their on their hands. So I want you though to think clinically first. What's your clinical honesty? What should we really be expecting of such a complex system, regardless of how quote unquote simple the symptom might be? And what can we, how can we make ourselves think about the transformation that we're having patients go through? And how long that might take versus putting unrealistic expectations on symptom management from a visit standpoint. Yes. So if guys, I hope this has been helpful. Thank you so much for those of you who wrote in with these kind of questions. That is always fun for us to answer to make sure we are hitting questions that you guys care about and making sure that this is really a dialogue. If you are really curious about what Nicole's talking about in terms of that clinical honesty about walking people through the four phases of treatment, That is what the Pelvic PT Essentials course is about. That is open for registration if you guys wanted to check it out. But just in general, that I think that can really help manage expectations for both patients and for you guys. That you can go beyond what they present in a case study. So, guys, as always, please reach out. Let us know if you have any thoughts, questions, anything you want us to cover on future episodes. We always want to keep this conversation going. And let's continue to rise.